Well, Pastor Earl is with us this morning, so would you welcome him as he comes and uh, he preaches the word this morning, and just uh, as he's on his way up here, I'll just pray for him this morning. Father God, I thank you for Pastor Earl, and I thank you for his presence here with us this morning, Lord, and I pray for the word that he is bringing this morning, Lord. We know it is not of him, it is of you, Jesus. And so I pray that you would help us to be a people who would hear your truths and your words. And uh, may we not just be listeners of the word, but doers. Help us to respond uh, in worship of you, Jesus. And so we thank you and uh, just pray that you would be with us and bless us. And may you be glorified in everything that is said and done this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you. The last time I was here, I think... uh, we were just hoping that spring would, would come. And I think uh, it, had, it came and looks like you had a wonderful summer. Although I, uh, as I drove in, I noticed that it, got, uh, it must have gotten pretty hot uh, somewhere along the line. I see lots of charcoal along the way. I hope it didn't uh, impact you. Uh, we were praying for you. I know that you had a lot of smoke. Uh, I, I think you had a lot of smoke here in, uh, in Penticton as well as in other areas seems like um, that was the, the story. I was just up in, uh, well, we, we, we spent some time in the South Peace Country visiting our churches there, um, Tupper, Dawson Creek, Chetland, and then down to uh, Fort Fraser. Fort Fraser was an interesting experience. We weren't there on a Sunday, so they said, why don't you come and we'll have, we'll have lunch. We'll have a potluck lunch together. Uh, at, at somebody's house and so I said well okay tell me where it is well they said you just cross the bridge on highway 16 when you come past Fort Fraser and take a left and climb the mountain and uh, keep going until you see a house in the bush that has an aqua a big white house that has an aqua roof uh, they were uh, operating by faith that I wasn't colorblind <laughs> I did have uh, my wife, Bernita, with me, and so we were on the lookout, and we, we thought we were leaving civilization altogether, but uh, there was a power line uh, that we could see, so we, we took heart and kept on turning and finally found the house. Had a wonderful time uh, visiting there up in the, well, it's, it's ranch country, cowboy country, and uh, a great place. And then uh, on the way home, we saw the forest fires burning, and... Uh, and Burns Lake uh, was in the news, wasn't it, this summer? So uh, it's been a difficult uh, time for several people, some people. But I'm glad that you've survived, and uh, we're delighted to be here. My wife's unable to be with me today, and she is regretting that and sends her love and her greetings, as do uh, sister churches. Let me just give you a little report. Uh, not too long ago, about three Sundays ago, our Abbotsford congregation said goodbye to their senior pastor and his wife, Uh, not in a negative way, a very celebratory way. They had a sending service and sent Pastor uh, Peggy and Pat Weens to to Hope to uh, reinvigorate and uh, restart our ministry in Hope. Hope is an interesting story. You know, uh, about 20 years ago or so, um, the Lord spoke to a lay couple in uh, Portland, Oregon and said, you know, I'd like you to plant a church. Uh, They weren't ministers. They were lay people uh, in other occupations. So they they retired from their occupations and said, okay, we'll we'll do that. Where do you want us to plant it? And the Lord seemed to say to them, hope. 
they didn't know where hope was. Never heard of hope. And so they, they looked on the map, and, and uh, sure enough, there was hope. And so they, they came and visited with the district superintendent of the day and the district advisory board. And I have to say, the district advisory board was dubious. <laughs> Weren't sure that this was something that, you know, we wanted to get behind. But they were insistent. The Lord has called us to plant a church in hope. And so off they went with no support other than moral support and prayer support, no financial support. They began to hold Bible studies in this town of hope. And here today we have a, a group of people. Uh, it, the, the church was dormant for a couple of years in terms of holding services because the previous pastor left uh, to another assignment. But in God's providence, he put this on the heart of Pastor uh, Pat and Peggy Weens in our Abbotsford congregation to uh, move to hope and to reinvigorate the work there. Isn't that something? And so uh, our Abbotsford Church now has called a new pastor, and, uh, and, and our Hope Church is uh, beginning new days of uh, good ministry, and I hope that you will uh, continue to hold them in your prayers. Also, our uh, uh, church plant in Maple Ridge is uh, doing well. It's a Korean congregation. The pastor is uh, Dae San Un. And uh, this week, we'll be holding our district advisory board meeting in the Maple Ridge Church of the Nazarene, which has been dormant for 10 years or more, maybe. And uh, so I'm so excited then, uh, that the Lord is uh, reinvigorating that work as well. And uh, also, our, Van our Vancouver First Church is in uh, very critical days these days as they uh, finalize their decisions as to whether or not to redevelop their property. It's a multi-million dollar proposal a very significant proposal and uh, not to be taken lightly and the congregation is uh, praying and seeking the Lord's uh, leading and uh, attempting to follow in these steps. They're, they're kind of frightening steps to, to take and yet uh, where, where isn't it kind of frightening as well as exhilarating as the Lord leads and uh, you're, you're asked to follow. So please uh, keep them in your mind and in your prayers as well. Lots of uh, people and uh, programs and ministries and uh, places to pray for, and so thank you for that. I really have enjoyed the, minis the ministry of uh, the worship team today, and uh, I was so excited to see the focus on the children earlier in the service. Uh, the I'm sure the Lord was just cheering <laughs> this morning as uh, uh, the leader of the uh, the children was talking to them about the five loaves and the two small fish. Slimy, nonetheless. Notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, may the Lord bless them. You know, one day a few years ago, a young boy of two or three years of age fell into a well of water. They were living, he and his family were living on a rural property, and somebody, I guess, had taken the lid, the cover off the well and forgot to put it back. And he was playing, and down he went. Nobody saw him. He was submerged for a considerable period of time. Perhaps uh, the report said 20 to 30 minutes. You can imagine the panic on that farm uh, yard. When he was finally found and pulled from the well, he was dead, uh, as far as anyone could tell. But with modern knowledge and, and modern methods of resuscitation, he began to show signs of life miraculously and finally began breathing again. And to everyone's utter amazement, he later regained consciousness. 
And then the question became, how much, if any, degree of normalcy could be expected? Well, I heard the reports of the situation, probably you did too, when it first took uh, place, and, and I was amazed, along with everyone else, that the child was alive at all, let alone facing questions of normalcy. But several months later, an update of the boy's progress was done, and what struck me on that update was the dedication of this boy's mother. She was just a young woman, and she seemed to be pouring all she was into her son's recovery, as you can imagine. She would take him, for instance, to the hydrotherapy pool and work with him, laughing with him and talking and singing to him. She said she could see slow but steady progress. And as for the little boy, it was, it was amazing to me. His gaze seemed to be riveted, just locked on his mother's eyes as if he was drawing courage and direction and security from her. And I'm sure he was. I, was. I was impressed with that mother who seemed prepared to give of herself in such a, an unstinting and costly manner with seemingly so little in return. And as I was... Uh, Listening to that report, I was also studying a passage of scripture uh, found in the book of Romans. And it seems to me that this story of this young mother is descriptive of God's focus on us as described in the book of Romans chapter 8. We see God dealing with us and as we read this passage, we can feel a new sense of security and hope and courage and strength and even energy for our days as we realize that none other than God Almighty himself is for us, is focused on us. Think about that. God's eyes are on you. Isn't that something? Let me read the passage. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and following. The Bible says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his Son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now listen to this. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Isn't that something? Let that phrase sink into your mind. Right standing with God. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. 
Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus has died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, the Bible goes on, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord. God is for us. Do you believe that? As we read through these passages, this passage, we find assurance, it seems to me, in God's sovereignty. God, the Bible says, causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We're talking about the sovereignty of God here. The early, earlier uh, uh, translations of the Bible into English uh, used a different uh, phrase in this verse. It says, uh, all things work together for good, those who love God. And later translators studied that and, and thought it probably... Uh, didn't capture the full uh, force of the message. And so in modern English versions of the scripture, you will find the Bible says God causes everything to work together. Not everything just doesn't always work together. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God is sovereign. It's good news, folks. God is sovereign both before creation even began, and he is still sovereign during our lifetime. You know, it's a dark world out there if you want to look at all the bad things that are, are going on. But, but, but God is in charge here, and God has the last word. He is sovereign. God has always been at work on our behalf. The Bible is teaching us that before the beginning of the creation, the scheme of redemption was in God's hands. It's already been worked out. That's what Paul is saying when he speaks of God's foreknowledge. God has always known about us personally. The Bible says God sees us while we're being knit together in our mother's womb. You can't step outside of God's awareness of you. Isn't that something? 
Verse 29 in this passage says, God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. It means that it has been God's plan, God's idea, God's hope, God's wish for us that we come into relationship with him and take on the inner likeness of Jesus. It's not something we've decided in our wisdom would be a good thing for us to strive for. It isn't a case of us planning carefully to become united with God. In fact, the Bible teaches us that exactly the opposite is true. The Bible says we, we're like sheep. We all go astray. We all run the opposite direction from God when we're left to our own devices. But because God is for us, God has taken the initiative to come and look for us. He knows us in advance. And he has planned for us to come into relationship with himself. Our spiritual well-being has not been left up to us. It has not been up, left up to last-minute planning. It's not been left up to stopgap measures or to a sudden change from plan A to plan B. Our spiritual well-being has always been in the purpose and plan of God. That's good news. God is sovereign. God is in charge. And God is preoccupied with our well-being. He's for us. God is for us. God is for you. God has always been sovereign, and he's sovereign in our lifetime today. God has taken the necessary steps to work out his plan during the history of people. God's plan for your well-being is not simply a pipe dream or a daydream that God's had, but but which he has not had either the inclination or the power to carry through on. You know, there's a difference between a daydreamer and a, someone who has vision. Now, I can, I can dream daydreams. I'm great at that. My wife tells me I've got a Ph.D. in daydreaming. <laughs> you can dream dreams, you know, if you don't ever implement them. <laughs> You can dream anything. That's different than making plans and having a vision. I see as I come in, the, by the way, I love what you're doing in terms of your renovation plans. Already I can see the value of what you're doing. And you have a vision, and you have to implement it. And somebody's doing the hard work, the legwork, day in and day out, planning and executing and implementing. God has done the legwork. God's plan for your well-being is not a pipe dream or a daydream. God has revealed himself to people all through history, and God has made himself known finally in Christ. It's the final word. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? It's not the idea of voluntary cooperation which is being talked about in this passage. Because the Bible also teaches about the reality of Satan and the forces of evil. And how far would you have to look to see evidence? Somebody prayed, I think, about the enemy today. There is terrible and powerful evil in the world. And sometimes the evil affects us and touches us, doesn't it? But the Bible is speaking about the authoritative overriding 
of divergent and even antagonistic factors so that despite themselves, they collaborate for the ultimate good of those who love God. God is able to take the plans of Satan and make them turn around and work out for his glory. Praise the Lord. And this is to be the case in your life, in your circumstances. Paul is including everything, things which independently or of themselves would prove to be our undoing, God causes to work for our ultimate good, says the late Dr. William Greathouse. You know, one time I, I knew a person who was hard and aggressive and difficult to, to live with and deal with. And uh, he experienced uh, a rejection and a hurt that was significant. It was negative. It wasn't positive. It was negative. But the result was that this experience drove the person to God. And God began to work in his life so much so that it was evident by just looking at him. And so I said to him, I said, what's going on with you? What's happened? And he told me the story. And he said, God is at work in my life. God is changing my life. And it was visible even in his body language and his facial expression. Now, what he experienced wasn't positive, but God made it work for his benefit and blessing. That's the way it is. We have the assurance, folks, of God's sovereignty. Do you experience the sovereignty of God in your life? You can. We have the assurance of God's gift of salvation, verses 30 and following in this passage. God saves us. Isn't that good news? Those he called, he justified, the Bible says. Now, the powers of evil have been hard at work since the dawning days of history trying to thwart the plans of God. But the Bible's message is that even in the picture of defeat, when people are utterly condemned because of sin and know it, and try to make ourselves acceptable to God, what does God do? Well, he just comes to us and offers pardon for our sin. Isn't that something? The Lord is compassionate and merciful, the scriptures say, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture, Psalm 103. You need to read it. In fact, you need to read it over and over again. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Listen to this. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Praise the Lord. Psalm 103. Folks, God is for us. It's the truth. Hard to believe sometimes. But the Bible teaches us. God is for us. Not against us. His eyes are locked on us. Think, come on. We'll make it. 
You can trust me. You can depend on me. I can get you through. God is for us. God saves us. He justifies us. And God glorified us. Verse 30. Paul speaks of this future event with such certainty that he uses the past tense as he describes what God will do in the future. Glorified. I look out at you and, and you look good. You look really great. But, but you don't look like you've been glorified yet. That day will come. But Paul, looking down the corridor of time, uh, sees it with such certainty that he uses the past tense to describe it. Something that's it's not up for grabs. We will see God and we will become like God the Son. That's the way it is. We have the assurance of God's sovereignty. We have the assurance of God's salvation. And we have the assurance of inner security. Verses 35 and following. God provides an assurance in our heart. This assurance takes the form of an inner quietness and peace that is unusual and inexplicable. I had a friend who told me her story. It went like this. She said, I was born and raised in the church. My family were uh, active in the church, and they brought me up in the church. I was in Sunday school, and and so on, but when I became a teenager, I, I flexed my muscles. Those are my words, not hers. She said, I, I just I, I fell in with a, with a crowd of kids who, who were not living the way I knew I should be living and were not living the way I was brought up to live, but I, I, I joined in and took on their lifestyle. Drifted away from the church, out of the fellowship, lived that way for years. At some point, she became married, and children began to appear, and, and she remembered her upbringing. She said, I, I knew that I, I needed to get back with the Lord myself and get my kids back into church, and so she did that. Became a beautiful follower of the Lord, but she said to me, you know, for years I lived with guilt and uncertainty, and every time I tried to make a uh, a new step of faith, there'd be a voice speaking into my ear saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're trying to kid? I know who you really are. I know the kind of life you've lived in the past. But who do you think you are? And she said, I'd be discouraged and weakened and unable to take positive steps in my relationship with the Lord. One day, she said, in desperation, I cried out to the Lord at the end of my rope, and she said, and these are her words, I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. He said, you're all right. He called her by name and said, you're all right. She said, he repeated it twice, you're all right. And she said, and I believed her, the sense of guilt and defeat and unworthiness was washed away. And a new, wonderful beautiful sense of inner quietness and peace took root and flourished. And that peace lasted her until the day she died. It was a beautiful thing. And we ought not to be surprised because that is exactly what God has promised to do. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind, Christ Jesus. Folks, there is no suggestion in this passage or in any other passage that trials or difficulties will not come to the Christian. On the contrary, we are told we ought to expect difficulties on every front. We ought not to expect to fare better than our master who gave his life for us. Folks, Satan is our enemy. Satan is God's enemy as well. And as such, he is out to defeat us. He's out to destroy us. But God is for us. Isn't that something? And the promise is that God's presence will accompany us, strengthening us, bearing us up, enabling us to see beyond the immediate present circumstance. The songwriter expresses this truth. Never a trial that he is not there. Never a burden that he does not bear. Never a sorrow that he does not share. Moment by moment, I'm under his care. This is the testimony that you and I have heard repeated over and over again by people who experience physical persecution, emotional struggles, loneliness, alienation, material need, and what have you. This is the testimony that rings clear from the life of Paul himself as he relates his personal experience of God's presence. God is for us. And God provides an inner witness and certainty. I am convinced, Paul says, as he starts to get excited finally <laughs> in this great doxology. I am convinced that nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes our situations... Uh, there are, there are situations that creep into human relationships that cause us to withhold or withdraw our love, or perhaps our love even grows cold. But that's not the case with God. Nothing can separate us. There's nothing tentative about these words. This is not someone's pretty-sounding theory. This is not the way we wish things were. Folks, this is the ultimate and absolute reality of our relationship with God through Christ. When it looks like you've lost it all and you haven't got a prayer, Jesus will still be there, someone said, because God is for you. Little children, especially little children in trouble like the one I mentioned a few moments ago, find their security in the love of their parents. And how thankful we are for that provision for receiving human love and for the care and love and devotion of our parents. But that love finds its origin in God, who created us in his image. 
Now, it offers us a beautiful sense of security, that's true, but how much more complete, how much more powerful, how much more helpful to us is the love of God? Oh, how trustworthy is the love of God, which caused God to think about us before we were even created, and which caused him to call us to himself, which caused him to pardon us in spite of our sin and to promise us a complete and perfect return to the image of God. Praise the Lord. It is in the love of God alone that true security can be found, and that security is marvelously available to you and me today. Aren't you glad God is for you? May the Lord bless.